Section six of the Roman Triumvirates by Charles Merivale. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Pamela Nagami. Chapter three State of Parties in the City, Consulship of Cicero, and Conspiracy of Catalina. Part two. Such were the circumstances under which Cicero determined to strike the first blow but the time had passed when a dictator could be invoked to save the state by an act of arbitrary vigour the mistress of curius one of the band put the consul upon his guard against assassination and disclosed the intimate counsels of the conspirators with this information cicero was enabled to obtain a formal decree from the senate enjoining the consuls to see to the safety of the state but in acting against men of such distinction and so highly connected every step was hazardous the citizen accused of a capital crime involving either death or loss of civil status still claimed the right of appeal to the tribes and this was a check upon the prerogative of the senate which the people under the influence of a crassus or a caesar were not likely to surrender to work upon the feelings of the multitude it was necessary to implicate the culprits not in a plot of private assassination or in an intrigue against a class or faction in the state but in a hostile attempt upon the commonwealth itself in concert with a foreign enemy it was fortunate that at this moment two proconsuls marcius rex and metellus creticus arrived at the gates of the city with some detachments from their legions demanding the honours of a triumph the one was immediately ordered to take the field against malleus who had raised forces for the conspirators in etruria while the other was sent to check the insurgents in apulia hasty levies were dispatched to control a movement in picenum the bands of gladiators at capua were removed or dispersed rome was placed in a state of siege citizens were enrolled guards posted at the gates the streets were patrolled cicero assumed the command and directed everything while he concerted the means of bringing popular feeling to bear upon the traitors as soon as they should be legally convicted the consul's first step was to remove catalina from the city and to drive him into the arms of the open enemies of the state on november seventh when his term of office was now drawing to a close he convened the senate in the temple of jupiter stator on the palatine catalina had the audacity to appear in his place but the senators alarmed and indignant shrank from the bench on which he placed himself cicero had already prepared them for the denunciation he was about to utter in which he proclaimed the guilt of the chief conspirator and disclosed the character of his plot showing himself fully informed upon all his machinations and intentions the daggers he had appointed to be drawn the fires he had ordered to be kindled he dared not even yet bring the criminal to justice he dared not expose himself to a charge of arbitrary violence but as soon as the traitor should actually repair to the camp of malleus which had become his only resource there would be no room for doubt nor for an imputation of extra-legal tyranny then but not till then would he reveal the proofs he already possessed of the charges he had not shrunk from uttering 
Catalina fell into the snare, from which, indeed, in the silence of his friends and sympathizers, if such he had, there was no escape. He rushed wildly out of the chamber, exclaiming that, driven to destruction by his enemies, he would smother the conflagration of his own house in the ruin of the city. At nightfall he quitted the city and threw himself into the quarters of his armed adherents in Etruria, exactly as Cicero anticipated and desired. The chief of the conspirators had thus declared himself a public enemy. There could now be no hesitation about proceeding against him. But he had left behind him the main body of his adherents, and it was the consul's aim to sweep all these into his net together. The opportunity was at hand. The Allobroges, a people of the Transalpine province, had sent envoys to Rome to complain of some ill-treatment to which they had been subjected by the officers of the Republic. Their representations had met with no countenance from the Senate, and they were about to return home, disappointed and sullen, when the emissaries of the conspirators came about them and urged them to raise their countrymen against the government in concert with the rebellious movement in Etruria. It occurred to them, however, that they might win the favour of the Senate by betraying these desperate machinations, and they had no scruple in doing so. Cicero enjoined them to lend an ear to the person soliciting them, but to insist that the terms proposed should be given them in writing. He then took measures to intercept them on their way home with these proofs of the conspirators' guilt in their hands. The consul could now come before the Senate in the face of the chief associates themselves and produce the fatal letters attested by their names and seals. Overwhelmed as they were with confusion, he gave them no opportunity of escape. He placed them all in secure keeping with the most trusty of his own adherents, while he declared to the people crowding anxiously at the doors that they were convicted of correspondence with the foreign invader. The populace was ready to believe that the Gauls and Etruscans were advancing once again to the sack of Rome. To save their homes and altars from such a catastrophe, no act of vigor could be too prompt and decisive. An opportunity now presented itself to the nobles for impeaching Caesar as an accomplice in the conspiracy thus fully detected. Catullus himself, one of the most moderate of their party, urged the consul to take this energetic step, but Cicero firmly refused to do so. He may have felt assured of Caesar's innocence. At any rate, he doubted the possibility of securing the conviction of a man so able and so popular, and he shrank himself from precipitating a crisis between the opposing factions. On the contrary, he affected to show his confidence in Caesar's loyalty by putting one of the criminals in his special custody. The greatest difficulty was still to be overcome. Nine of the conspirators had been denounced, five were convicted and confined, but the nature of their punishment was not yet determined. The law of the Republic, as interpreted at least by the patricians, invested the chief magistrate with a power of life and death on the Senate issuing its ultimate decree, to provide for the safety of the state. Armed with this sanction, bold men had more than once slain presumed traitors, and the Senate had loudly applauded them. But against such a stretch of prerogative the commons had vehemently protested. 
they had appealed to the principle of the law which forbade any citizen to be put to death except by the vote of the tribes nor could the tribes themselves prevent a citizen from evading even their sentence by voluntary exile cicero indeed had contrived by implicating the conspirators in treasonable practices with the foreigner to get them declared perduelis or public enemies whereby they were deprived of their strict rights of citizenship nevertheless it would have been a daring thing to put them to death by his own authority the senate had thrust the sword into his hand but he was careful to slip it back he summoned the senators to meet again and while the streets were patrolled by their armed clients and the adherents of the oligarchy kept watch before their place of assembly he invited first Solanus as consul-designate to deliver his opinion. Solanus pronounced boldly for death. All the consulars, the most distinguished and experienced of the members, followed on the same side. Crassus had absented himself. Caesar, it might be thought, would be cowed by the strength of the adverse vote, and direct his followers to the same conclusion with it. But the leader of the people, with rare courage, rose in opposition he pronounced not for death but for imprisonment and forfeiture which indeed he pretended were penalties worse than death his speech made a great impression upon the timid and vacillating assembly one after another all that followed including quintus cicero the consul's brother voted with him solanus even deigned to qualify his own judgment cicero tried to stem the turn of the tide by showing the obvious peril of half-measures at such a crisis but cicero's influence with the optimates was never great they distrusted the new man who had plainly gone too far for his own safety and might be striving from selfish motives to implicate them in the consequences selfish themselves and as cowardly as selfish they would have cast him off even at the last moment had they not been swayed back by the energy of cato who rising among the last as one of the least eminent of the body pronounced for the execution of the traitors in a tone of deep conviction and unflinching courage the sentence of death was delivered in cato's own words the knights who awaited impatiently for the result were furious at the obstruction caesar had thrown in the way of justice and as he passed out of the temple of concord the place of assembly could hardly be restrained from falling upon him some of the younger senators carried him off in their arms and among them was gaius scribonius curio who afterwards played a notable part in his public career the consul had thus armed himself with sufficient powers he allowed of not a moment's delay but went himself to the house where lentulus was detained on the palatine and led him with his own hand to the tullianum the prison under the capitoline the other culprits were brought to the spot by the magistrates who had them in custody the executioners were at hand lentulus was strangled first and categus gabinius statilius and caparius all men of eminence suffered successively the consul attended to the last and as he traversed the forum on his way homeward he muttered to the crowd who were anxiously looking for him they have lived the people accepted the intimation of their fate without applause but also without a murmur the state was saved by this prompt execution 
but the treason still survived. Catalina himself was at large, and his occult conspiracy had burst forth into open rebellion. The crisis was still a grave one, but Cicero had calculated the risk beforehand and was confident of his power to control it. He had associated the Senate in a deed of blood which could only be justified by success, and at the same time by proving to them the power which they could really wield and the strength of their position if they would act up to it he had encouraged them to defy the factions of the city and to regard even the great pompeius himself as their minister and not their master the patron they suspected and feared had withdrawn he might say from the city and left them exposed to the evil designs of the marians and to every other criminal ambition but trusting in themselves alone they had exposed the machinations of their enemies slain many of their leaders and driven the remnant to make their last stand in a position in which they could be easily exterminated the presence of their hasty levies had already put down the movements of insurrection throughout the greater part of italy in etruria alone the resistance was still obstinate cicero however had purchased the cooperation of his colleague antonius by ceding to him the province of macedonia and while this vacillating leader was allowed to hold the ostensible command of the troops in front of catalina he was placed actually under the control of more trusty lieutenants sextius and petraeus at the same time metellus creticus a loyal officer operated in the enemy's rear cut off his recruits from the cisalpine and was ready to intercept his retreat catalina had collected twenty thousand men but they were imperfectly equipped and disciplined he despaired of success in arms but he exerted all his artifices to win over the chiefs of the armies opposed to him but delay was fatal the bulk of his levies deserted him antonius might feign sickness to excuse his own want of activity but his place was supplied by more determined opponents and catalina reduced to extremity could only fling himself desperately upon their hostile array and sell dearly his own life and the lives of his few devoted adherents his body was found in advance of his own lines among a heap of slaughtered enemies his head was sent to rome to assure the senate of their triumph and the issue of the battle of pistoria raised their spirits to a pitch of intoxication they were now prepared to defy pompeius caesar and crassus they despised they had made good use of the talents of the upstart cicero and henceforth they could afford to throw him away whenever it should appear expedient to do so the conspirators had been put to death on december fifth b c sixty three as the calendar then stood the defeat and slaughter of catalina did not take place till march b c sixty two in the interval solanus and morena had taken their seats as consuls sulpicius the great jurist of the republic had been defeated at the election in the previous summer and had accused his successful opponents of bribery cicero had exerted himself to stifle the struggle between men who were all adherents of the same party in the state but cato had resented the misconduct of the consul's designate and had supported with vehemence and pertinacity the suit of the defeated candidate cicero undertook the defence in person nevertheless he refrained with great tact from embittering the untoward dispute 
and confined himself to good-humoured banter of the impracticable principles of the stoic philosopher raising a laugh against him which cato himself with equal good-humour retorted see what a witty consul we have was the only remark he made upon it nor did he harbour any feeling of displeasure against the orator who both ridiculed and defeated him End of section six.